You can have passion for things without conflating it with your identity. back uh after one heck of a playoff game yesterday we're gonna dive into that one here shortly uh but again welcome back this is champion school i'm ray mcintyre that's bzb uh before we ask you how you're doing just want to let you guys all know we're diving right into a interview with jake whiskersion who is a national certified counselor dude is a legend makes incredible ipas on the side and is also the founder of zephyr wellness uh the dude is awesome and and make sure you stick around for that interview but bzb how are you Doing well this morning, Ray. A tough weekend of football for the yeah, the Byler household, man. There's three L's, <laughs> three oh teams, Steelers, Cowboys, and Cardinals. We'll get to that later, but uh, doing well, man. How are you doing? Uh, I'm great. You know, uh, as a closet Niners fan, the guy that doesn't really watch a ton of NFL football, uh, to, to have put out in the world that the Cowboys might win the world, uh, the Super Bowl year, <laughs> week after week after week in our on and our offense. And to finally see that uh, come to an end <laughs> uh, feels good. Anyways. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so for us, let's just dive right into it. Good news of the week. All right. Good news of the week. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to the good news network where I get a lot of these headlines from, because these headlines are late today. <laughs> uh, number one, KFC launches plant-based chicken nuggets and reviews say they're quote finger licking good. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thoughts? I'm down to try them. Now, is it, is it plant-based chicken or is it like a, the impossible burger? How, how can you explain to me how it would be plant-based chicken? I don't know because they're making weird false burgers. So maybe they're making weird false chicken. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, at that point, you're not growing the chicken in the ground, you know, <laughs> it's an animal. So plant-based I'm, I'm getting, I'm assuming it's something like the impossible burger, possible burger or possible burger or whatever, where it's, uh, I don't know, mushrooms or, you know, peas and something that, that whip together, but for them to say it's good. I, I don't know. I'm not trying it. It's not me, but good for KFC trying to take that step. KFC always comes off to me as like kind of one of the greasier spots. Yeah. Uh, so for them to get in the plant-based side, I guess we're, it's 2022, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Who knows at this point? <laughs> that's right. Uh, number two, and this one is important uh, just because I live uh, right near Reno. Uh, obviously we have good, a lot of good friends in Reno, uh, but they shut down the highways. I 80 uh, and 50 were both shut down because of snow not too long ago for like, you know, 72 hour window almost, um, because they were just getting pounded and pounded, uh, seven things you must keep in your car after drivers are stranded on a frozen highway for 21 to 48 hours. Before we get into what they are, I want to hear, what do you think they are? What are, what are some necessities that you think you need to have in your car for any kind of event like that? I don't ever want to be in an event like that. <laughs> so know, water snacks, uh, at Let's least some sort of a blanket or something like heating blanket or something, maybe a poncho just in case you got to go outside, go to the bathroom, uh, uh, toiletries maybe. Yep. Nice, nice, nice. Uh, a change of clothes. 
yeah, that kind of goes with the, 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 um, the blanket, like you said, those are okay. all kind of packed together. Um, uh, what else would you need? Oh, cell phone or emergency phone, something to call maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, we, we're going to assume that every time you get in your car, you have your phone on you. <laughs> yeah, it is 2022. Um, that's right. Um, I don't know. What's the rest? Ice scraper. Ooh, okay. Because okay. uh, living in Reno, we both know the Honda <laughs> Civics take the ice damage pretty bad. Oh, uh, battery-powered flashlight. Make sure you have batteries, maybe a change of batteries. Uh, they also included phone car charger in there. Uh, and then jumper cables. Last one, jumper cables. Jumper so, cables, good call. Yeah, got to give a shout out to my parents. Got me jumper cables for Christmas. My in-laws got me uh, its own like battery jumper. So now I can just take my cables, plug it into the thing, and it jump starts without even needing another car there. Like, Ooh, that's pretty legit. wild. Yeah, that's big legit. time. And we're coming to the end of my civics lifespan here. We're at like 13 years old, so <laughs> it's about time to start looking into a new one. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's. That's what I got. So make sure you carry those things with you at all times. Again, shout out to Good News Network for hooking us up with some uh, great headlines this morning, you know, right and set through some stuff. So uh, on to the next segment, favorite segment of mine, Chew on This, presented by Grinds. Hmm. Chew on this. It is the week that... Uh, <laughs> we're just going to let you dive into it because <laughs> I think you have a lot to say on the, uh, the outcomes and the performances of postseason football. Yeah, there's a lot. And I think staying relevant with what we're watching. Uh, if you're a young athlete out there too, or a parent or coach of a young athlete, have them watch these games. I mean, whatever it is, it could be basketball, softball, tennis. It doesn't matter. Anything in the playoffs and competition wise is important for us to watch because we can learn a lot of good things from it. So some of the things that I've been learning from watching the playoffs this weekend, obviously I've, I've got my Cowboys who that was tough. We'll get to that one. The Cardinals, they sucked and then the Steelers got trashed. So it was a hard weekend over here for our family but uh seeing some of the parallels from the teams that won versus the teams that didn't the teams that looked prepared versus the teams that didn't were were very very obvious to me and i think one of them was discipline right discipline in a couple ways number one discipline to stick with your approach and stick with your plan that you have created or the coaching staff has created uh number two knowing your roles within that plan um, and knowing who the other people's roles too Right. There was some miscommunication on the on some of the defenses and just in general, right? Offense and defense that caused big plays to happen against them, different teams, right? Different teams. So um watching that was really painful for some of the games that I was watching. But um just knowing your role and knowing what everybody's supposed to be doing, that's just knowing the playbook, knowing your schemes and it's pretty simple stuff, right? It's a mental error. That's the that's the part that makes us so frustrated. Um, the one with the Cowboys, right? We go back to discipline, 14 penalties, right? 14 penalties. You're not winning any games with 14 penalties. Um, you talk about discipline, right? Everybody wants to highlight the last play of the game where the ref got in the way and they messed up. They should have handed it to the ref it's just the little things, right? You practice these things all the time and now it's time to execute. And if you don't execute, it costs you games. So um, everybody wants to look at that play. That wasn't the, the reason why they lost, right? 14 penalties. And I think three to five of them gave the Niners a first down when they would have had a fourth down. Now, if you're extending drives like that, you're just giving really good, talented athletes and teams way too many opportunities to go out there and succeed. So um, when you limit some of those opportunities, it just maximizes your chances to win. So watching the, the playoffs, I think the whole theme to me this week, first weekend of wildcard football was 
discipline in your actions, discipline in your game plan, discipline in your assignments, and discipline to not make stupid mental errors and let the game get too much of you. Um, and then you can see some performance anxiety and nerves out of some of the guys, yeah. i.e. the Cardinals. I think it was just it was embarrassing performance. But um, all that aside, right, I think you just got to you got to trust your guns and you got to trust your playmakers. I don't know. It was tough. Chew on yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. There's people putting out and, and typical Twitter trolls putting out yeah. pictures of Kyler Murray in A's uniforms yeah. again. Like, uh, I don't know. It's, it's <clears throat> tough. Um, I think when you're put in a baseball terms and we talk about this with uh, Jay a lot is kind of where I got it from. I'm sure he'd had this going back to other coaches he'd had, but the, the freebie war, right. Uh, free mm -hmm. passes, errors, uh, how many extra bases on ball and dirt, how many walks are you, you giving up as a team versus the other team. And when that was like, I want to say plus seven or more, the team's winning percentage was like 97%. Like it was, it was unheard of. So like we were always fighting for free passes and like we would work counts and you, as you know, cause that was part of our approach, but those free passes add up. And, and the same thing, like you said, like, of course the biggest time when you're going to get those penalties are in the biggest game of the year. And the one that's going to send you home, if you, mm -hmm. if you make them, you know, the other team is going to, or you're going to lose more games than the other team is going to allow you to, to win, you know, I think in, in the long run. So yeah. tough deal. That's the Sorry. toughest part. <laughs> hey, but Sorry. Uh, bright future for all those teams. So uh, look at the bright side. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There it is. Turn the page right away. Give a shout out to big bear. I sorry. Sorry, big bear. I'm sure you had a frustrating day yesterday or two days ago. Uh, but yeah, Hey, we're pulling for who are we pulling for now? Bills. Fans, yeah, the right? Bills are Bills fans. <laughs> uh, so if you guys don't know, Austin is a uh, a consistent flip flopper, and especially with the NFL side, the the baseball side, I think he's just a baseball fan. But NFL teams, oh man, it just depends on the day. So yep. <laughs> go Bills. Uh, this week, Jake Wiskersen again. We already introed him a little bit. Zephyr Wellness, the guy is a Hall of Famer and and has a lot to say uh, on the mental side on the overall health and wellness side for our youth and and for our just individual people and with us being in 2022 where it's at the forefront of everybody like uh he is a perfect guy to talk to about this and and to dive into so uh without further ado let's dive into jake wiskershin What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Champion School episode here. We got Jacob Skirson, founder of Zephyr Wellness and a part of the Walk the Talk America, uh, which is really, really exciting. I'm pumped to get into that with him. Uh, but Jake, more importantly, a great friend, a great brewmaster at home up in Reno, Nevada, uh, and an all-time baseball dude competing in the men's league out there. Jake, how are you doing today? I am awesome, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. I love being guests on other people's podcasts because it means that I, A, don't have to come up with the questions and B, don't have to do the production. So thanks for having me. It is kind of nice, isn't it? You can just pop in, pop off, and just leave. <laughs> you just leave. It's my favorite kind of work. It's my favorite kind of work. Like when we do work in schools. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I do uh, work in mental health and I run an outpatient uh, counseling agency here in Northern Nevada. So when we do work in schools, uh, oftentimes there's no paperwork, which is like the best thing ever. I just get to go in and do the job and then leave. <laughs> it's like, I get to talk to kids <laughs> yeah. and make it feel better and then we're out. Yeah. yeah awesome. 
That is the life right there, man. But dive into that a little bit, Jake, with, with your work in the mental health. You, you've done a lot of amazing things. You, you've definitely steered me and Jared in the right direction throughout our past here. Um, and Jared connected us a while ago, and, and you really helped me just kind of get on the right path with what we were doing with Major League University. Um, explain to the audience really what, what your organization is all about, what you're doing in the mental health field. I know it's pretty diverse um, and some of the things you're a part of. Yeah, so I'm involved in as many things as I have pitches, uh, which is like more than I have fingers. So catchers have a really tough time calling pitches for me. Um, but uh, but in all seriousness, uh, so my main you know day job is that I own and operate a an outpatient counseling agency called Zephyr Wellness. Uh, look us up on zephyrwellness.org. Um, we uh, we do uh, talk therapy. So we bill insurance. We take uh, you know we take take Medicaid. Uh, we, we don't turn anybody away because we host graduate students who are going through their practicum hours for school so they can become licensed. And that, that particular thing is probably the proudest thing I've done in my career, which is to shepherd new talent into the field. And it creates a little you know pipeline of farm system uh, bodies for us so that when they graduate and get licensed, we can hire them because we know how we trained them and they're awesome. Uh, but it also, it's a benefit to the community because we don't have to, to, to say no based on insurance coverage or ability to pay. So I really enjoy the graduate student thing that we do. And, uh, you know, I kind of merving off of that, if you're familiar with like the, the Merv bombs from yesteryear that like you drop one and then a whole bunch of other finger bombs come out. Um, we, we involve ourselves in the community pretty heavily. We do a lot of, uh, you know, tabling events and I participate on a bunch of boards and coalitions and committees and stuff. We have partnerships all over the area. Uh, for several years, we served as a mental health services provider for our local uh, sexual and domestic violence shelter and, and agency. Uh, we partner with Head Start. We're in a, a couple of different school districts and um, we're adding something called applied behavioral analysis therapy to our program here in the next few months. And uh, so, so we try to, we try to get out of the shadows when we founded, uh, several years ago, we've been around for almost seven years now. We did it with the, the purposeful intent of not putting mental and behavioral health off to the side, you know, kind of hiding, hiding off in the wings. We purposely wanted to be an, an active, vibrant, well-integrated small business in the community and to bring, you know, hope and health to lots of people and not just in the, in the office setting. So part of that looks like, doing YouTube videos. Uh, so Zephyr has a YouTube channel. It's got, you know, one guy on it. It's me, but, uh, but we have a YouTube channel and, uh, and podcasts, uh, host a couple of podcasts. One is called Noggin Notes. Been doing that for almost five years. And the other is called Guns and Mental Health. And that's part of the organization you alluded to, which is Walk the Talk America, trying to bridge the gap between firearms ownership and mental wellness, which is two cultures that have often stood uh, opposite each other, kind of across this self-imposed chasm where, you know, tragedy happens with a firearm and one side blames the other side and then nothing happens. And so, you know, we're trying to, trying to move the ball forward, trying to get people the help they need. Everybody hears about this mental health crisis in America. And, and I know that we're never going to solve it by doing individual face-to-face -face outpatient therapy, nor do I think that that's necessarily appropriate for everybody. So I'm trying to get information pushed out in all the, the, the best ways that I can, including, you know, uh, interactions like this so that people can take this stuff and integrate it into their own lives and become healthy and happy and not have to, you know, cross my threshold if, if we can help it. It's so good. And, and what you're doing is amazing, man. And, and so good for so many people. And you mentioned, I'm sure you've seen a wide range of people coming into your facility and, and some patients that you've seen and some things that you've dealt with and going into the schools to seeing it differently. Um, what are some of like the, the most obvious signs of somebody struggling with mental health? And what are some ways that we can 
approach people who we know are struggling with it, who might not be ready for it? Or is there a way if they're not ready for it? Uh, th there is a way. And, um, and, and there is a very specific uh, way to do it. It's, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different methods. Of, you know, there's individual as human beings are, but, but the way you want to do it is you want to make it an invitation, not a, a command, if you will. So people respond a lot better to having their own liberty and autonomy respected so that they can choose for themselves. Our, our problem is, as the observers of the, the person in misery, is that we have to be patient enough to tolerate watching them go through the process whereby they eventually figure it out and then take their steps forward to, to help and healing. And sometimes that takes a while. And so we have to, we have to be able to watch them in that distress while they're figuring it out. And that can be really frustrating. So the first step is we have to be patient enough. And we have to know ourselves well enough to, once we introduce this information to them, to wait and let them figure it out. You know, there's that old joke about how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? And uh, the answer is one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Uh, but the, uh, the, the, the adage stands true. I mean, if you don't have an internal desire or an internal awareness, nothing's going to change. So what you're asking is how do we bring them to the awareness that something might be wrong? And it, it takes a recognition, right? And uh, sometimes I think what we've done, especially in today's culture, where we used to talk about how mental mental health care, mental illness broadly is stigmatized, right? It's like nobody talks about it. We, we white knuckle it through life. We stuff down. All right. And then we started pushing for destigmatizing mental health care. And I think what happened with the advent of social media in the last couple of years, specifically throughout the, the pandemic and the lockdowns and all that stuff, is the pendulum started to swing and it swung way too far. So now it's not that mental illness is stigmatized anymore. It's that it's become overpopularized. And now we've got natural responses to environment being what, what we would call in my field pathologized, meaning we've, we've labeled them as bad, um, unhelpful, negative, and somehow aberrant to normal life. And, and that's like, if, listen, if a nine-year-old loses his, uh, you know, aunt to COVID, and he bursts into tears and withdraws for a few days and doesn't want to eat and doesn't want to play with the dog. Like that's called normal life. Like that's, that's, you're supposed to do that. That's called sadness and grief and loss. But what we've done now is we've over pathologized that to say, get the kid into therapy. It's like, no, no, you need to wait a few weeks, like several weeks. Um, so part of this is recognizing what is and is not actually mental illness versus life, right? Um, so I, I want to caution everybody against over pathologizing normal responses to environmental stuff. But when you see this, let's say, uh, let's say that you see a kid who's really struggling, grades have declined over an entire semester, right? Many weeks, um, they lost interest or pleasure in one or more of their favorite activities. They don't want to engage um, weight loss or weight gain sometimes that's not intentional. Um, you know, cause sometimes you got to, you know, somebody playing sports and they want to cut weight for wrestling or something, or they want to gain weight for football. That's, that's fine. They're, they're doing it purposely, right? We're talking about kids who don't do this on purpose. Um, and you pull it all together and you go, yeah, you know what? Johnny's really struggling. We don't know why, cause we're his parents and we're off in our own world. We're working our jobs. We're all glued to our devices. Uh, but we noticed this thing, like Johnny's suddenly slipping into the, into the shadows here. You got to bring it to, to Johnny's attention. You sit him down and you gotta be very purposeful and say, Hey, look, we've noticed a change. What's up? 
and you just leave it at that. You just state your observation. So, you know, it's a very long-winded way of answering your question. You asked, how do we bring this to people's attention? You make an observation and you say, I've noticed this change from you. And hopefully you've got rapport enough with that person that they they detect that you're not condemning them, you're not, you're not chastising them, you're not, you know, beating about the head and shoulders with it, you're not shaming them. You're actually coming from a place of love and compassion to the point that they go, you know what? Thank God somebody finally asked. Yeah, it's because fill in the blank with your reason, right? I'm being bullied, a girl broke my heart, uh, I uh, kids on the team don't like me, whatever it is. Um, and then you have to make it an invitation. Hey, Johnny, what can we do about this? And hopefully, again, you have the rapport. Um, maybe it's not the parents, maybe it's the school counselor, maybe it's the coach, where you've created enough of a trusting relationship that Johnny will tell you. Because the worst thing in the world is Johnny doesn't tell you. He goes, no, 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 everything's fine. Everything's fine. And you're like, hmm. You shake the magic eight ball. And it's like all signs point to no. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we, yeah. know you're, we know you're struggling. Uh, but, you know, teenagers sometimes, especially, they put their fingers in their ears and they're like, no, no, I'm not going to hear it. I'm just going to I'm internalize. And, and then we have to sit back and watch and just watch very, very carefully. Make sure that, that nothing else is, you know, seriously going wrong. Like, um, you know passive ideating threats to self or others that would be that would be bad right but if johnny is just like lost interest in football because you know the kids don't like him and you know the team team is uh bullying him or whatever it's like well but he picked up guitar right and he's really into guitar now and he's writing songs i don't know that that's pathological you know that might be just called a life transition so so we want to be very careful about not you know, jumping to conclusions and, and hitting the panic button because that can send a message that Johnny's not well. And then Johnny goes, what am I, am I, am I not, am I sick? Am I, is there something wrong with me? Uh, and that can open up a whole bag of other problems we don't need. So it's a, it's a long answer to a very generic question. And it's hard because the presentations are so varied that it's hard to, hard to hit a specific answer to say, well, do this every time. Cause yeah, there really isn't one. Although I will recommend, um, there's a book called, uh, by a guy we all know, Christian Conti, C-O-N-T-E is how you spell the last name. And it's called Walking Through Anger. And it's a little less about anger itself and more about his uh, life's work in something he calls yield theory. And what it is, is a way of interacting with people such that you can connect and communicate much more effectively. So if you're interested in learning how to do this yield theory stuff, and especially with children, but also with your spouses and your employees and your, and your coworkers pick up walking through anger by Conti. And it's a very easy read. It's really, it's really good. It's uh, very fascinating. It's very practical and you can use some of that stuff. Perfect. No, I love that. And I like the fact that you said, Hey, it's an invitation, not a command. You know, we're not commanding somebody. We're inviting them to have a conversation. And I think a lot of the times people just need somebody to listen to. I mean, for, for a lot of us to say, who's the open ears, who's not shoving their face in their phone and, and putting me off and, and showing me with their actions that they're really not listening to what I have to say. And when people just sit back and listen, uh, it, it just opens up so many more doors for people to just get that off their chest and to really be able to, to speak about it and share what's going on. So I love that. Jay it's huge. I'm perk. I'll, I'll pass it off to you, man. Yeah. So something I kind of want to dive into is kind of the intersection of mental health and athletics as well. Um, Cause I hear from a lot of coaches, especially like an in individual sports, like swimming um, when their athletes are in like a moment of crisis or have a time of crisis, the first person they're coming to is the coach and the coach doesn't really know how to respond or how to, to address the situation that they're going through because they're not trained in it and things like that. And so I guess my one question is when, how can we help assist coaches like that in those times of 
crisis that their athletes are going through because they develop those relationships of trust with those athletes. And that's why the athletes feel comfortable going to them. So, yes. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's going to sound like a commercial for uh, Dr. Chris, <laughs> but um, in, in, in yield theory, there's three basic components and it's listen, validate, explore options. And you have to do them in that order because, uh, and you guys can watch my, uh, my, my YouTube videos on emotional functioning to learn more about this, but in the brain, the two uh, areas that, that I tend to focus on the most are thinking, which is in the frontal lobe and then feeling, which is kind of in the middle rear part of the brain near limbic system. If somebody is, is limbically flooded, well, that's, that's the emotion part, right? If you're, if you're, if you're in an emotional state, the frontal lobe where our reason, logic analysis, otherwise known as executive functioning exists, that part, it doesn't shut off completely, but it's, it's very, very diminished. So if somebody's in an emotional state and you start hitting them with logical solutions to their problems, the brain literally won't receive that stuff. So the mm. first thing you have to do is listen. Listening is very hard because we often want to solve problems, especially as dudes. We, dudes are you know solution oriented and we just want to like get it done right now. Right. And that doesn't work well with our wives. For those of you who have wives and or girlfriends, uh, <laughs> like, sometimes it's not about that. Um, you just want to sit and listen. In order to sit and listen, like I mentioned earlier, you have to be able to tolerate somebody else being in distress. That means you have to tolerate yourself in distress. So it takes an incredible amount of self-control to work through and sit in somebody else's pain and not pull them out of it just because you don't want to be there. So listening is the first thing. Then we got to do something called validation. Validation does not mean condoning, especially if it's like a bad behavior or something. Like if, a, if, a, if somebody screwed up, drink over the weekend, you know, smoke some weed, they weren't supposed to crash the car. It's not saying it's okay what you did. It's saying, I hear you. I understand you're in pain, right? We're validating the emotion of what they're feeling. And you don't have to be emotional functioning expert to do that. You can just be like, man, that sucks. That sucks goes a long way. Cause what it says to the, to the, the person who's in that distress, it goes, okay, I'm being heard. Okay. He gets me. Right. Even if you're like, I have no idea what's going on. You're like, man, that sounds awful. That sounds horrible. That sucks. Uh, boy, it sure seems like you're upset right now. You can be generic. And eventually what happens is that limbic system drains and you don't, you don't have the, the emotional reactivity anymore. They're not sucking emotion. And then the third part, explore options. You say, what do we want to do about this? Now that you're calm, now that you're, don't tell people to calm down, by the way, that doesn't work. <laughs> you just need to calm down. Um, listen, validate, and then explore the option. What do you want to do about this? And, and go from there. And I think that will provide the avenue for, you know, reconciliation for the wrongdoing, or uh, if they're panicked about school, they can focus more on their homework and get the assignment done, whatever it may be, but you got to get them out of the Olympic state first. And the, and the way to do that is to listen and then validate before you start throwing solutions and suggestions at them. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Cause I think a lot of times we forget to listen and validate. And I think, Ray, you can probably touch on this a little bit too. As coaches, you want to come up with solutions. And that's like your first like training and a thought. And so I think that's really huge to touch on. Yeah, I don't I don't know if my wife has ever responded well to calm down. So I think <laughs> you're right on that end. Um, and Jared, you're right. I mean, as coaches, especially like even with the swing, right? Like mm -hmm. nobody's going to change unless they're ready to change their swing. The same thing on the mindset side. Um, for you, Jake, when you're going into a school uh, and you're trying to teach these things or, or skills to the masses at a younger age, what are some things that you're teaching them uh, when you're just going in and speaking to a whole school? 
I, I'll go back to emotional functioning. Uh, I, I think that the deeper I've gotten into my career, the more that I've realized how critical this is for a couple of reasons. One, it's universal across all human beings. We've had the same 10 emotions for you know 40,000 years and everybody has them. I don't care if you're intellectually disabled or you've got a horrible upbringing or you think you were just quote unquote born angry. It's not true. Everybody has the same 10 emotions. So that's one thing. Everybody has these they're all, they all serve a purpose and they're all useful in some capacity or another. The second thing is this isn't taught anywhere. So without somebody specifically and purposefully teaching emotional functioning, we're just kind of left to figure it out on our own. And I figure the faster we can get kids caught up, the better off they'll be down the road when they encounter distressing situations, no matter what they be. So if, if I know what sadness feels like in my body, uh, some people feel it in their throat, some people feel it in their chest some people feel it in their, in their head or whatever. Um, if I can dif differentiate sadness from anger, then I can more precisely respond to what's making me sad or angry. So I teach emotions and, and it's, anybody can get this stuff. I think that the youngest I've taught is probably in a group in a group, I'd say it's about 10 or 11 years old. Um, individually, I, I have a six and a four-year-old. My six-year-old absolutely knows at least six of his emotions, maybe seven. Um, I don't think he knows contempt yet. Um, he might actually know eight, uh, but I don't think he knows contempt, and he probably doesn't necessarily know um, shame from guilt, but, but he knows them, right? And so if, if I can do that at six with my kid, I think anybody's capable of learning this stuff. Uh, and, and I think the sweet spot probably is um, somewhere between 12 and 15, because between middle school and early high school is where you're going through all your hormonal changes. And, and the content is so rich that I can point to virtually anything and be like, all right, identify what you're feeling there. Identify what you're feeling there. And behind me, I've got, you know, 10 emotions listed and they look at the board and they're like, uh, shame. You know, like, it's, yeah. it's great. Uh, and then, and then we can work through it and say, what well, is this shame telling you? Well, it tells me to go make an apology. Okay. That's guilt. And what happens there? So for me, when I teach the stuff, I teach that. And I teach this to, to my patients too, whenever they come in the office. And the reason I do that is because teaching somebody builds credibility. If you can offer them something that they didn't know before, or they didn't possess, and it can be useful. They want to come back. And, and I know you guys know this in, in working with youth. I mean, when you teach them something that, that works, they're like, oh man, I want to stick with this dude because he, he helped me, right? Yeah. So yeah. I start there. And after I, I've built that credibility, I've built that rapport, I can go deeper with them and explore, you know, childhood traumas or deep, dark fears about the future or, you know, the, the conflict that they have with their loved ones or whatever, whatever it is, regardless of age. So I start there and I start cognitively, but I'm teaching the limbic through the cognition and building rapport as an educator. That's, that's how I teach it. And from there, like the, just the world opens up. You're right. Cause when I'm teaching the new swing to a new kid, the first thing I'm doing, I'm sitting down and doing launch position that works with everybody. And they're like, Oh man, this guy's really knows what he's talking yeah. about. Right. <laughs> so um, do you find that when you're teaching these things, the, the more informed that individual is on their own emotions, the easier they're able to hit pause in that mindfulness set and just, take a step back from what they're doing? Sometimes, uh, bro broadly, I would say yes. But what happens I've found is that people incorrectly label things. So uh, parents, if you're listening to this, be very, very careful about how you label things for your kids. Make sure you're doing it accurately. So if a kid comes to you and is like, 
wow, wow, wow. I'm, I'm upset that my brother, you know, took my toy or whatever you go. You're not sad about that. You're just hungry. It's like, well, now what you, he might actually be sad because his brother took his toy, but you know, internally it's like, well, coming up on dinner time, they're a little cranky and, you know, grouchy. Don't inappropriately label the emotional feeling as a physiological feeling, because then if you do that enough over time and you're inappropriate, and I see this in like chronically abused children, I'm not saying everybody does this, but, but when you do that enough, they grow up and go, Oh, I'm sad. It must be time to eat. It's like, no, 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 we don't, we don't want to do that. It's what we want to do is say, I understand that you're disappointed. I'll use my own kids as an example. Elijah apologized to Ethan. (laughs) Uh, Now go wash your hands and we're going to eat, right? Separate the two. Don't, don't inappropriately label things. Um, and, and don't tell them, don't invalidate, say, that's not what it is. It's this, it's, it's not, you're not sad. You're angry or like kids need to know accurately what they're feeling validated accurately. Um, but broadly, yes, the more in tune they are, um, the more this stuff sticks. And I feel, I find people nodding along going, yeah, somehow deep down, I sort of knew that you just put words to it. It's like, well, yeah, it's cause, cause it's natural. It's normal. It's what we, it's a, it's a necessary biological, you know, need that we have to feel things. Go ahead. Bye. No, that's great. I love it. Something you mentioned, Jake, I think it was the last time we did a podcast probably two years ago or so. And uh, even when we were sitting down is all emotions are temporary. And I really Mm -hmm. like that concept because it's like, Hey, I I might be feeling shameful one day, but I don't have to take that into my next day or my next year or my next opportunities. Um, Or your next moment, you know, like how long is a moment, you know, it could be, it could be very fleeting, uh, especially when we're talking something like sports, like how, how many, how many, how many moments go by in between plays or pitches? It's like you swing and miss, you beat yourself up. And you're like, Oh gosh, yeah, I was right down the middle. You know, like yeah. you better get over that. Cause the guy's winding up again. You know what I mean? So yeah. we want to be able to, to, to experience this stuff, tolerate it for in the moment that it is, and then let it go, leave it where it's supposed to be, which is in the, in the past later, you can go back and examine and learn from it. Um, but if there's something that needs attending right there in that moment, you better be in that moment. Yes, no, no doubt about it. And then kind of leading into my question here with the sports aspect, obviously with us baseball uh, majority, but in any sport, I think it's it's something that we can all take into it. And when we did our leadership retreat, you came up and, and were so gracious to present on all of this stuff to our guys and they loved it. They were taking notes. I saw the notebooks. It was awesome. Really good stuff. And then for me, learning how you present and doing different little tricks and things that kind of keep the attention engaged. That was really good. I'm, I've been using those. So don't think I did not notice those. markers <laughs> people. I, I actually did throw a marker at a kid on, on Monday. I, I, I did. And now this was out of, yeah, this was out of anger, but the kid wasn't paying attention. We're doing our breathing. He's looking around laughing, like just being a jack wagon. I was like, dude, dude, I'm just going to chuck a marker at you. (laughs) Hit him right in the back. (laughs) Good shot by me. Um, And he didn't say a word. Right. So, uh, but when you're going into the games and you're, you're competing and you're in the heat of the moment, um, what are your best recommendations or practices to try for any athlete out there that can just hate? recognize, replace, reset a little bit, uh, maybe self-reflection, whatever that might be. Um, but mainly in the heat of the moment when things seem like it's very emotional, right? They're in a high emotional state um, and volume. How can they just recognize those things and kind of take that step back a little bit? Like you mentioned, hey, experience it, move on, um, kind of get the next play. Yeah, it's, it's a tough answer because there's so many options, you know, whether it's a, a close game ticking down to the end and a you know, basketball you, uh, you know, or, you know, who's, who's going to get the ball for the shot or it's a pressure situation in a slow moving sport like baseball um, or, um, you know, football or volleyball, even where there's like 
one ball, it's kind of moving one direction, but there's a bunch of other people who also have to do their jobs and you got to rely on them. It's, it's tough. I, I did track and field in high school. Um, so pressure, pressure situations like throwing discus when you know the mark you need to hit and you have to relax and re- trust your, your training instead of trying to muscle the thing, uh, which never works. You know, so it depends on the situation, but I think, I think for me, what has, and it took me many years to figure this out. Cause I was, I was kind of a hothead, at least internally, if not externally. And I didn't focus and it, and it definitely jeopardized my performance. I think that for me, trying to, to figure out what everybody else is doing. Right. Uh, and, and it pulls what it does now in retrospect, um, it pulls me from limbic into logic. So if I, if I'm nervous or I'm, I'm exhilarated, right. Maybe I'm, maybe I want that last shot, but I need to calm down and like, so I'm not tripping over my shoelaces. Um, what I, what I do is I try to, to pay attention to everything. I try to know everything that's going on on the court or on the field. Like what's that person doing? What's the defense look like? Um, where are the linebackers, whatever it is. And it, and it pulls me into analysis mode. So I'm not in limbic. I'm not given over to the excitement or the fear or the, or whatever is going on. And I'm, I'm focusing that way. I'm focusing on the mechanics of everything else. And what I'll tell you has been really beneficial. It's made me a better student of all sports. Cause I'm now I, you know, if, if my job as defensive lineman is to go, you know, get the quarterback, but keep contained on the end or whatever, I I'm mindful of where the linebackers are. It's instead of giving over to like my job, tunnel vision, go get the quarterback. Right. If I know the linebacker is coming into, into a gap, for example, I want to give him enough room by pulling my, my tackle so that he can get into a gap. Instead of like, you know, like, Oh no, I know this guy's right-handed. I can go in and, you know, do a quick jab step and get around him. But I just clogged the hole for my linebacker. And then, you know, somebody bounces around the outside. I forgot to keep contained because I got selfish. Right. So the way to do that, I think is to consider everybody else on the field. And so, you know, it makes you a better student of the game, makes you self-aware. It focuses you in the moment and it pulls you from limbic into logic. That's, that's what I would recommend is know, know your position really well, but know everybody else is super well too. I really like that. And that's something that I think is, I I don't know how, how much it's been taught, but we almost forget about it because there is a lot of that terminology of know your role, own your role, stick with your role, do what you do instead of, Hey, let's just be mindful and aware of where everybody else is on the field or on the court or whatever it is that we're playing and other people's roles and responsibilities when they're going through whatever it is. Yeah. And I I would take that into the workspace too, because I, you know, I was always curious as a kid growing up, you know, my, my part-time jobs. And then as a young adult, I wanted to know, everything about the the retail store or the restaurant or the bank or wherever I was working. And so it fed my curiosity. I think there's a, there's a real practical application to that where yes, you want to stay in your lane. Yes. You want to play your role and not, not have mission creep into somebody else's, but simultaneously, I think it makes you better at your job if you know what everybody mm. else's role is. Right. So it, it's not to invite doing everything. It's to invite knowing as much as possible so you can do what you do the best and, and also not like waste energy worrying about whether or not the shelf is going to get stocked on ILB when your job is ILA. You're like, I know, I know Tony is doing ILB, right? <laughs> like I don't have to worry yeah. about ILB because I know Tony's doing it. But if I don't know that Tony's over there and I haven't asked my boss, I could be sitting there doing ILA stocking beans or whatever. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to make it to ILB, right? It's like, I'm staying in my lane, but, but I just know ILB needs. Yeah. So we can, we can let go of that if we know that Tony's around the corner. 
That's, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's a great example. Like 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. Um, I'm going to ask my last one. I'll kick it off to you, Perk. Uh, but for anyone out there listening, whether it's adult, child, athlete, non-athlete, parent, whoever it might be, um, what are some tools that they can practice daily that can help them just become more aware, uh, maybe more mindful, maybe calmer, whatever it might be in their life, but just to start practicing some of these things, um, I guess, mental health practices that we can just take inventory of now, um, and take action on. Uh, (laughs) if you tuned in to hear some, some cool buzzwords, this isn't it. Um, (laughs) so I've, I've become, I'm going to give some backstory of my answer. I've, I've become acutely aware of how ungrounded people are these days um the the last two years have been awful for introducing distractions that don't take us anywhere and along the way i think we've we've um we've abandoned our roots collectively so whether those roots be spiritual moral ethical familial we've just gotten so dazzled by the devices and the streaming videos and all that stuff that and and the messaging that comes through there largely is question everything Right. And I don't care if it's question everything politically and don't have trust in your government or it's question everything you thought you knew because you might offend somebody. So like whatever it is, it's unanchored most of society. So my recommendation, it's made people crazy, quite frankly. Oh, no, the therapist said crazy. Yeah, that's fine. It's, everyone <laughs> understands it. Um, to, to combat that, we have to we have to re-anchor ourselves. We have to pick something that is is ours. It's reliable, it's true, and it will be there for a while, right? So I don't care if it's nature or the cosmos or God in the Judeo-Christian form or it's some personal ethical code. Everything that you do should go through that lens, through that through that matrix, if you will. Um, I don't mean like Neo and, and Keanu Reeves. I mean like like a like a box of squares <laughs> through which you evaluate things. Um, if you make your decisions through your personal anchoring and you know why you do what you do it's my favorite word in counseling is intentionality. So there's a buzzword. Intentionality is the spirit of knowing why you do what you do. It puts you in charge of your decisions so that you're not pushed into reflexive decisions by other people or other circumstances. And you get to know exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it so that you can reasonably predict the outcome. If you do that, you're not going to be tossed along the metaphorical waves of the sea as the storms come up. You're rooted. You're, you're anchored, right? You're, you're going to be fine. You might get a little wet, but you're not going to be blown all over the ocean. So anchor yourself in something and continue to remind yourself why you do what you do, where it comes from, and what your purpose is. And I don't mean like necessarily big life purpose or anything. That could be it for sure. But know why you do what you do from one day to the next, moment to moment, how you parent, how you conduct yourself in school, how you conduct yourself in your relationships, at least know why. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you dress. I don't care how many rings you have on your nose. Like, it doesn't matter. Know why you do it. And that'll put you in much better charge. So when somebody comes to you and goes, hey, why do you dress like that? Why do you have rings in your nose? You can be like, well, because of blah, 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 right? You've already thought it through, through this lens of whatever it is you've, you've chosen. That's how, that's how we're going to fight mental illness. Know where you originate, know where you're going and be in charge of it. So good. That's awesome. Perk, I'll pass it to you or Ray. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that comes down to like finding your foundation, right. Mm -hmm. And being able to have something that you can go back to no matter what changes in your life. Um, that's something I kind of wanted to pivot to a little bit as well. And, uh, Awesome. We've talked about this with Zach on one of the podcasts that we had um, and how athletes can and humans in general can lose their self in what they do. So like Zach would talk about when he would have a bad game, his entire day would be terrible. If he had a good game, he was having a great day. So how what are some tools that we can do to separate our performance or what we do at work from like us as individuals? Uh, a couple things. So one is variety. If you have lots of things to do, you're not going to be so confused as to, you know, launch yourself into one thing and be become monolithic. Um, I could say more about that. It's, um, it's fascinating to me, the depth of a human being, but uh, that's not necessarily the purpose of this. So, so variety is good. I think, I think we should all have lots of things that we do um, lots of the time. I, I do lots of things. I've been doing lots of things since I was like 11. And uh, it sometimes sounds cartoonish when I start listing off all the things that I do. It's people are like, oh, do you ever sleep? It's like, well, yeah, I do. Um, after I drink some homebrews. No. <laughs> but, um, They're really but, good uh, too. They are. Yeah, They're really they good. Are. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, boys. Uh, so variety. Variety helps to keep you from becoming tunnel visioned and, um, and monolithic. The other thing is we want to watch our language. And, uh, and I don't mean like swear words. I mean, when... In, in English, we have, uh, we have basically one form of the verb uh, to be. And uh, to be in English comes out as I am, right? I am, uh, you know, whatever I am. It sounds very permanent. Many, in many other languages, they have two versions. One is permanent, one is temporary. And you know this based on which verb you use. So in Spanish, the ser version of to be is the permanent one. Like, you know, soy hombre, I'm, I'm a man. I'm, that's not going to change. Uh, and then there's the estar version. Yo estoy uh, enfermo. I'm sick, right? Meaning I won't be sick at some point. So it's temporary. And when we have this one use of the verb to be in English, it, everything starts to sound permanent. So you're like, I am an accountant. It's like, oh, that's an immutable characterological trait. You just came out of the womb and you were an accountant and you all <laughs> be an accountant. And, and so when we start to say this, what it tells our brain is that's all of who I am, meaning we're, we're limited, we're boxed in, can't be anything else. And it can't ever change. So that's really problematic when Bob, the accountant, needs to head into retirement. And he's like, I don't know who I am without my accountant practice. Like, well, Bob, you also raise some children. You're married to a, a woman. You bowl on the weekends. You golf on the weekdays. Like, you are lots of things, Bob. You can let accountancy go and not lose your identity. I think that's what happens. With, uh, Jordan, I talked about this yesterday on the Naga Notes podcast. The identity, it's like, career as identity or identity as career can become very problematic, especially when you're talking about kids who got put into baseball at six years old. Maybe they played some soccer at seven, maybe some football at eight, but then like by nine, it was baseball forever. And now they're 30. And it's like, I don't know who I am without baseball. Like, I totally get that. I totally get that. So to combat that variety, but also stop saying I am a baseball player. Stop saying I am a, whatever your job is. I do is a great way of doing it. Like I do homebrewing, I do therapy. I, I mean, I guess I could always say that I'm a counselor because I don't know if that's ever going to end that's who I am, <laughs> whether or not I'm making money off of it. Right. But like I do podcasting. If I said I am a podcaster and then podcasting in, I'd sit there and scratch my head and like, what, what am I without my podcast? So we don't want to be anchored to our things that we do that are temporary. And here to, to, to Byler's point earlier, emotional functioning is temporary. Well, all things in life are also temporary. 
and and that's not to spook anybody and and you know raise anxiety that's to 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 invite really embracing with a grateful heart the precious nature of things that we have um they're not mine to keep you know uh i don't want my family to suddenly die in a fiery you know automobile accident but if they do it doesn't affect who i am at my core right uh i didn't come into this world with my wife and kids i I probably won't leave with them either. Um, so what I want to do is I want to hold very preciously my wife and kids and the automobile that got consumed in the fire, right? I don't want to identify myself with my truck. Um, so that I can feel very, very, very sad. I can feel that loss. I can feel that grief and move forward and do something else afterward. Uh, pick myself up, reinvent myself, whatever it may be. But in the meantime, boy, I'm gonna love, I'm gonna love the crap out of them. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bend over backwards. I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice lots. I'm going to commit myself. So you can have passion for things without conflating it with your identity. You can hold loosely to these things. And for those who, who are you know believers in higher power, I wear my spirituality on my sleeve. I follow Jesus. Um, God works in seasons, right? He comes in, he, he does things and you, you, you appreciate them. And then there's another season and you got to let that thing go, even though it worked for you for a long time. And, uh, just brought this up yesterday too. It's like baseball, 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 my whole life, played baseball my whole life. And I finally hung up my spikes. You guys, Byler, you'd be proud of me. Finally hung up my spikes this year. I'm done being sore for six days after playing three innings on Sunday. Um, but you know what I'm going to keep doing? I'm going to keep coaching my children. You know, so it's like it shifts and morphs and I have to be comfortable letting that go uh, so that I don't get stuck in like, who am I without Sunday baseball? It's like, well, you could be lots of things and go camping, you know, like so yeah. holding loosely, but still being passionate is very important. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of people that'll get to that 30 mark and and decide to make that shift. Uh, you know, for me, for example, shifting careers and some people are just afraid to make the jump. Right. Really? Because they're so tied into what, like you're saying, tied into that identity piece. Yeah, it's just not, not ideal. But before we get to the game, I wanted to ask you, my last question is like, what are those things you're doing? Uh, you, you do a million things. You're a great home brewer. We, again, we hit on it, but uh, what are some yeah. things that you're doing Just in your free polish, time? To... Polish his knuckles. <laughs> I know, right? uh, what's your, what is you, your diversity across of things that you're about? So I got asked uh, a couple of years back, I was on somebody else's podcast and, um, and this gal, uh, Christina, she asked me, um, totally caught me off guard. She says, with all the things you do, how do you find time for yourself? And I was like, she's another therapist. So we're thinking in like, you know, self-care talk and all that stuff. And I was like, I, I, I don't have an answer. <laughs> and, and I had to think about it. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that uh, nothing I do is a chore. Uh, I choose the things that I do. And, and I kind of forgot that. The only thing I see as a chore is like my paperwork. I hate it. Like, you know, I never change. It makes me want to throw up. I'm still, I'm still a week behind on this one guy's log note from last week. So, um, we'll peek behind the curtain there. Jake's a terrible <laughs> paperwork guy, but, uh, so podcasts, YouTube, family guy, you know, not family guy, the show, but I am a, I'm a family guy. I have kids and a wife, um, uh, rec league baseball coaching my kids. I chaired the board of directors for a, a charter school up here that I helped form, uh, chaired my licensing board, rewrote, rewrote a bunch of laws for this for the state, for my profession. Um, I homebrew. I sat on my church council. I still attend church. Um, I mentor, I supervise, I run a business, um, lots of things. Right. And all of them are because I want to, 
they, they, I derive energy from them. Uh, they're not, they're not a time suck. I don't, I don't lament waking up in the morning. Uh, sometimes I wake up in the morning. I'm just like, I'm tired, but, but that happens to everybody. Right. I don't, I don't grind my teeth through the day. So that's, that's a big, that's a big thing for me is knowing again, intentionality. If this isn't bringing me joy, I need to look to, to do something else. And one of the examples I used, I think I shared this with Jared yesterday was um, homelessness for the longest time was like, just kept creeping into my life. It's like, Hey, Jake, help out with homelessness. And I was like, eh, like I knew internally that wasn't my calling. My calling is lots of other things. It's just not that. And, and that's okay. Like we can say no to things and not feel like we have to, you know, hose down every fire. Um, but I think one of the, the most, the, the things that makes me, you know, that I derive a lot of energy from is, is this walk the talk America organization where I'm, I'm the mental health guy of guns and mental health. I've been a, a gun owner my whole life. I was never really into the culture. I was raised with a you know family full of cops. Um, but I, I'm a gun owning clinician and that's very unique uh, for some reason. I don't know why. And so when I joined up with WTTA, WTTA's mission is to bring mental health care to gun owners because gun owners typically have been spooked by the rhetoric of the NRA it says, you know, don't go to doctors, don't go to therapists. They're going to take your guns. They're going to red flag you, all this stuff. This is not true. Um, but they don't know that. And so and it's like, I go to these shows and these trade shows and conferences and stuff. And it's like these, these firearms owners who've never seen a clinician before come up and it's like, they touch me. It's like, are you real? <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I derive a lot of pride and energy from doing that work because what I know is I'm bringing, I don't know if you guys knew this, but roughly 47% of Americans either own a gun or live with somebody who does. So that's like half our clientele, half our yeah. clientele in America is a gun owner or lives with a gun. And we have to become competent at that language. And here's why firearm suicides comprise 50% of all suicides in America and of all gun deaths in America, 64% are by guns. So it's like, we've, I'm sorry, 64% are suicides. We have to reach that, that community. And who's going to do it? I look around. It's like, I'm literally the only guy in America doing this. Well, now we have another one. His name's Eddie Davenport. He's from North Carolina. But it's like, how is this possible? So I really enjoy that. We have a great podcast. Um, I get to meet really great people. I've learned a lot about the gun culture and community. It's been, it's been fa fabulous. So I derive a lot of satisfaction and joy from that because I know that the, the efforts we, we endeavor are making a difference. Yeah. I, in church the other day for me, it was, you know, they're talking about being overfilled and, and you are one person that is definitely filled all the time and able to pour into others. So I'm I, so grateful for that too. Like gratitude, I've learned gratitude in the last few years that matters. I didn't, I didn't know gratitude until probably six, seven, eight years ago. It's a big, big deal. Keeps you focused, keeps you humble. Gratitude. Love, important. love it. Well, Hey, let's get into this game. I'll kick it off to buy to wrap us, but, uh, it's called on it or off it. So I'm going to go through a list of 10 things. We I threw in some Reno things in there for you. So you can let me know whether you're really on it or off it, but um, you're going to tell us whether you're about it, you're on it uh, or you're off it. It's not what you're about. And then a quick sentence as to why that was your answer. All right. We're going to start with number one, Reno aces games. Uh, hmm. <laughs> on the spot right away. Sorry. Uh, I would like to be more on it. We'll put it that way. I was I, I was at the very first game ever in Reno you know, Stadium back in 2009. I actually worked 
for the Reno Aces at their mall kiosk in 2008. Really? With a graduate degree, selling shirts and hats for 10 bucks an hour. So I'm way into into the Aces. I've been off it because I have small kids and it's hard to keep their attention for that long. But now they're into baseball, I'm on it. There it is. And it's freezing cold at those games, so be Sometimes. careful. Sometimes. <laughs> Uh, this one's from by uh, the Cowboys winning the Super Bowl this year. Off it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jake. Uh, no shot. Uh, meditation. Strange answer on it, but not the way you probably think. Um, people think meditation is uh, setting aside some quiet time and closing your eyes and maybe sitting in a cross-legged position or whatever. And it, it can look like that for sure, for sure. My meditation actually is constant dialogue with self and God throughout the day. And it doesn't, it doesn't look like anything. I don't, I don't set aside my time. I don't take a Sabbath. I don't, it, but, it, but because I, I focus more on flow, and this is like a Carl Jung concept, I'm, I focus more on flow that is my meditation. It's it's a constant feedback of, of what's going on. So I, I try to be as in the moment as possible. Sometimes probably too far because I forget about things like um, planning for my anniversary. <laughs> yeah. That's my meditation. That's my version of meditation on it. No, that's perfect. IPAs. On it. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, Star Wars. On it. Yeah, big Star Wars guy. Uh, I wish I had more time. I really want to watch The Mandalorian. Um, I've heard great things. Um, I've seen all of, all the Star Wars movies. I can quote most of them, except for the new ones, because just I haven't seen them enough. But uh, yeah, de- definitely, definitely in Star Wars. You've seen uh, which one's your favorite? Dating back, probably, probably Return of the Jedi because it channels my inner child and the. The the uh, the worlds that they, they go from Tatooine to Endor to um, uh, like they go all over the place. Um, Empire Strikes Back was good, but it's a little dark. I mean, it's Act Two. Like, Act Two is always the dark one. Um, yeah. yeah, Jedi. I love it. And Luke gets his green lightsaber there. That's that's the cool one too. So sick. Yeah. <laughs> I've been crushing Star Wars in the last couple months, so just checking it out. Golfing. Uh, I'm going to start being on it. I, <laughs> I love golf. Don't get me wrong. I love golf. I just don't. I, I haven't taken the time. Had some back issues the last couple of years. Um, also led to my baseball demise. But I got a set of brand new clubs and a brand new driver for my birthday, which was July 8th. I've yet to swing them. Oh, man. I know. Um, but next week, we're going on a family vacation in Mexico, paid for by my parents. Thank you, Mom and Dad. And it is a golfing vacation, and so I will get to try out my clubs for the first time in Mexico. That's awesome. interesting. The last time I golfed was also in Mexico last June. You, you live a good life. <laughs> golfing twice a year. I have a great life. Uh, Reno balloon races. On it. On it. I love the balloon races. Um, I enjoy... The, the couple days leading up when you can see them like you know doing their test runs in the morning when you're driving to work uh, kids kids love it i don't particularly enjoy going down into the crowd i prefer to be like up in the neighborhoods but um yeah. on it anybody that hasn't been needs to go it's one of the coolest events yep. maybe flying all over our field during the day so cool uh, playing poker on it yeah. not as much as i used to i used to be way 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 into poker now i have a family so i can't do as much but i, I love poker we got to get a Reno night together with all the boys. Yes, we do. Uh, the Reno Rodeo. 
off it um just because it's become kind of a kind of a zoo in, in recent years i used to love it but it's it's just i don't know crowds it's fun it's fun and, and we'll take the kids at some point but off it for now yeah crazy crowd last one we got uh and i haven't seen a lot of their games so i don't know how they're doing but the nevada basketball team making the ncaa tournament this year <laughs> way yeah. off i watched the boise game last night and they Oh my gosh! They they can't they can't move the ball. They don't box out. They can't play defense. They shoot ill-advised shots. It's it was a disaster. We've we've had those years. Even when we were there as players, we, it was just a bad year. You know? I don't know if that's where it's gonna be this year. I don't see them making the tournament either. <laughs> well, great job. Bye. Go ahead. You go ahead and wrap this thing. Yeah, Jake, we appreciate you, man. That was a, that was a solid auditor off it right there too. But we definitely appreciate your time, man, and all of your expertise and wisdom. It, it means a lot to us and our viewers, and we're excited to share this with our crew. And uh, as always, we can't wait to be back in Reno trying out the new home brews from Jake and seeing what else you got whipping up there at the house. I, I'm really curious how that Falcon's doing that flew into the window when we were up there the last time. Remember <laughs> yeah, that? Dude, wild. That was insane. Word around the campfire is the Falcon is fine. <laughs> the falcon has survived uh, yeah, but we appreciate you a concussion get you send him off with an ipa he'll be okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, i used falconer's flight hops in that ipa oh there you go <laughs> uh but we appreciate you jake man thanks for your time keep doing doing amazing things man spreading the good word with everything you're a part of and uh, making a massive difference in our world so we appreciate you man thank you you guys too. Uh, it's been great. I love it. You're, you are making a difference also. I love what you're doing for the kids and you're, uh, you're a positive voice to, to carry, you know, kids forward into, into highly productive benefit, you know, well-rounded lives. So thanks for the, what you do too. All right, Jake, thank you so much for coming on. First of all, hall of famer. Uh, we've been able to spend some time with you on our free time, which was amazing. Uh, really looking forward to getting out there and seeing you again in Reno again soon, but bye. what do you think about the interview with Jake? Yeah, Jake, he's incredible, man. He wears so many hats and does so many different things, making a really big impact in his community and now worldwide with Walk the Talk America. Uh, a lot of really good things that he dove into there in, in this session, but I think that the biggest piece is um, knowing who you are, asking for help, not being afraid to do that, and that everybody's a little different. I think all case studies are a little different and um, just evaluating people from that aspect of, especially in his field, right? He, I'm sure he gets just all across the board of different things that, that people are struggling with. And um, the biggest thing is there's help there. There's a lot of need, right. For, for the help. And then um, for him and his, his team and facility, I love how he likes to foster leaders. You know, he's, he yeah. mentioned something about, Hey, the best part is seeing people come in here as an intern or um, someone just helping out. And then they stay here long-term or go create their own practice or do something. Um, and they, he sends leaders, right. He sends leaders off better than they've came in so that was really cool to hear and just an awesome guy man his ipas are so good his family's yeah, great makes great job. food oh man great house too just awesome overall dude yeah he said something in that interview that i thought was really key and he was talking about people ask him how how do you have time for all this stuff right like you have mm. seven different things you're doing he's like well i mean that's my free time like that's my free time that's what i like doing that's what i spend my time doing and it fills me up so like it doesn't really feel like I'm busy, you know, like, yeah, I'm moving from thing to thing, but those are parts of me that I enjoy. And, and it, it fills me up, you know, just doing it. So, you know, branch out, do different things. Don't worry about 
trying to have a work-life balance because there's no such thing. You know, it's like how much are you willing to put into something you love doing versus this thing you love doing? Like everything's a trade-off, whether you're doing a job that you hate, right? Just to make the money to do things you love, like it's up to you, you know, it's your call. But I think that at the end of the day, if you're spreading yourself out and and using your time to what you want to do, like you're winning right there. So mm. Uh, last note, I started watching, um, Ted Lasso. Finally, I, I found out, um, I had been paying for Apple TV plus for the last <laughs> few months without knowing it. So, uh, you know, I might as well jump into it, but very <laughs> good. Go. Highly encourage you guys to watch it. Uh, there's so many good one-liners. One that sticks out to me is, uh, you know, uh, it's a lot like riding a horse when you're doing something for the first time. And if you're doing it and you feel nice and comfy, you're probably not doing it right anyway. So as my wife that rides horses like that made it stood out, but you've seen it, right? You've seen some of Ted Lasso. Yeah, most of season one. I think most okay. of season one. I actually threw it back on like two days ago to watch an episode. <laughs> it's, it's such a it's positive awesome. show. I know, it's so good. And everything's stacked against the dude too. And it's like, hey, yeah. he just handles each situation as it comes. And um, it's just a great teacher for how we should treat people. A thousand percent. And like you say, kill him with kindness. Like, yeah, we always envision someone like he does his boss. Well, I guess he doesn't because he's just such a positive dude. But he's, <laughs> I see people the first time I meet him as like his boss, who's just intimidating and like standoffish a little bit. But that guy walks in and like is the most positive dude with everything possible. And like at this certain point, it just turns his boss into like hard not to like this guy right you know so stay positive go out keep doing good things in your communities and we can't thank you all enough for for hanging with us and watching us uh if you want to support us on the project sandlot side again we're growing this thing is going we're over 250 uh sold 252 i think today uh we're at twenty thousand total dollars raised for youth sports and a lot of that's going into things that we're going to be using for mlu uh project sandlot fund all the same right we're just trying to impact youth and communities so uh check that out projectsandlot.com projectsandlotmint.com uh if you're trying to go direct then we can help you with anything that you need there other than that we hope you guys have a blessed week and we will see you soon Bye.